Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast where we're diving deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and business people, sports people that are making it happen. Today I have a very special guest, good friend of mine, Nick Maxwell. For those that don't know Nick, he is the last premiership captain of Collingwood Football Club. The Collingwood Football Club for the international guests is the biggest sporting organisation in Australia. They are regularly playing in front of 100,000 people with near 100,000 members. So that's a huge organisation here. Lots of fans, lots of people that are following that sport here in Australia. And we've got Nick as our special guest who has an incredible journey which was rejection after rejection after rejection to just give given his opportunity at AFL level then building a career becoming the Collingwood captain becoming an all-Australian player played over 208 games helped premiership that uh, football club is only two premiership captains that are alive on planet earth today so he's a very special guest but his post career has moved into leadership coaching executive coaching helped sporting teams improve their performance at a high level and is an incredible entrepreneur so i hope you enjoy today's episode with nick maxwell Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast where we're interviewing inspiring business leaders, entrepreneurs, and diving deep into their stories and pulling out wisdom to help you understand what it takes to have success in business and life and whatever it is for you. I'm super excited because I'm here today with a very good friend of mine and someone that's inspired me to do a lot of things that I've done in life. He's the premiership captain of the Collingwood Football Club, or the last premiership captain of the Collingwood Football Club, but he's got an incredible backstory of rising to become a captain and then become a premiership captain of the biggest club. So for those that are international guests, Collingwood is the biggest sporting club in Australia. He became the premiership captain of that. And also, uh, he was an all-Australian player, played 200 games but what is incredible his effort to get into his um his sporting passion transition out after a successful career to become a sought after leadership coach both in the corporate world and for sport as well so welcome nick to the show um look i just want to i guess there's a lot to unpackage in your story but i'd love you to fill in a bit of the gaps from you know you went from geelong and and, and Getting into the AFL wasn't an easy pathway for you, so love to um, for you to share a bit about that story. Yeah, look, um, for me, I guess uh, growing up in Geelong, all I ever wanted to do was play AFL football. That was a thing that, from an early age, that I just loved and was passionate about. Um, and down there, the first opportunity, I guess, to make a name for yourself or to be seen as someone who, who has that potential is to make the Geelong Falcons system, um, which is a representative side for underage players. Um, my first opportunity was a 14-year-old uh, trying out for the under-15s and I started off with a squad of about 80-odd and every week they basically cut 10 or 12 and, and you get down to your, your actual team. Um, and I unfortunately got down towards the end and, and got cut. As a 15-year-old, got invited back again for the under-15s this time and uh, same process and got to the end and got cut. Uh, as a 16-year-old, this time for under-18, so I was a bigger squad. Um, again, similar process and... Uh, bigger squad but they cut it all the way down and, and get to the squad and uh, that they're going to run with for that season uh, and got cut so three strikes wasn't looking too good um, I actually I started doing a lot more training with uh, the senior players at St Joseph's Football Club uh, my, my team and I was playing under 18s but um, I actually played a senior game and filled in reserves a fair bit after under 18 games with them but to train with those guys uh, I guess took me to another level because they were the guys I looked up to and they were sort of heroes to me so I didn't want to let them down so I did a lot of extra training uh, in between under-18s and, and seniors and um, yeah I played uh, I only played the one senior game but um, we lost by 120 points so wow. I dropped the next week it was not my fault but <laughs> we ran in uh, it was North Shore out at North Shore which uh, for those who are from Geelong at that stage they were uh, they were unstoppable and was a uh, certainly a, a tough beginning um, 
they improved a lot that year. Um, got back to the under as a 17 year old and, and tried out with um, the Falcons again for fourth crack. I don't know. I kept inviting me back. Um, at that stage, I was uh, I was one of the fittest, so we'd have like different running sessions and stuff, and I'd, I'd be always up the front. Um, and and all the feedback was really good. Trained really well. Um, got to our first intra club practice match, and about five minutes into the game, I, I put on a handled the ball and put on a shepherd and guy jumped and stuck his uh, his knee in my in my back and snapped a vertebrae in my back so um, mm. I was out for, for six months wow. um, so I got cut again <laughs> um, and obviously I came back at the end of that year and um, I was sort of lucky Mick Turner um, threw me a bone a little bit and he allowed me to come and as a training partner almost like a development guy just to see what it was like um, once a week um, for probably about the last six weeks of the season and yeah just played under 18 with St Joseph's then and um, won a flag which was great but I sort of had this passion I just I, I watched guys um, play John Falcons actually won the premiership in, 20, in, in that year which would have been my 17 year old year which was 2000 and 2000 um, but unfortunately uh, yeah, I just couldn't couldn't cut it in and get in there so they invited me back for a fifth time um, and again went through the same process and Actually, uh, I made the squad and, and played every game for the team that year. Mm. Um, we had an unbelievable team. We had Gary Ablett, Jimmy Bartell, Brent Maloney, Matt Maguire, uh, Luke Hodge, uh, Tom Davidson. <laughs> 13 guys ended up on an AFL list from the one team. And amongst those guys, I won the, the best player in finals award. So all of a sudden, I started getting a lot more attention. And mm. um, clubs started coming to my house and interviewing me and, uh, and asking questions of my teachers and my, my uh, coaches, my principal all this you find out down the track um, so yeah I uh, all of a sudden it was looking really positive I didn't get picked uh, unfortunately but then the next day I had eight clubs ring and, and want me to try out for a rookie list position with them um, so I guess I was sort of sought after as someone who just missed out who, who still had potential um, so in the end I decided to go to Port Adelaide just because they had um, Asian defenders and um, and also it would show a really strong commitment for me to move into state and leave my family an 18 year old to, to chase that dream mm. so um, got there I spent uh, well I got there the first five minutes spent the coach went in to do my medical and uh, I had some scans of me because I'd been carrying a groin injury and I got in and, and showed the, uh, the doctor put the groin sort of scans up on the board and he said um, you've got osteitis pubis we, we can't pick you mm. and so I've sort of gone from how good is this? How exciting is this? You just walked in, and, and this is a one team of eight, so you know that they're, they're keen on you. And um, all of a sudden, they've basically had the carpet ripped out from underneath you. So I, uh, I basically, um, I said, "Hang on, I'm, I've just picked you guys, and get the footy manager in, and the doctor, and let's talk about this." And and also, I didn't know anything about that injury, which was mm. um, an overuse injury. I was playing for my school midweek. I was playing for the Falcons on the weekend, obviously training all week as well. So um, I, I ended up convincing them to let me stay for the week anyway so we've already um, booked my sort of flights and some stuff and my accommodation so I, I was thinking I'll show you I'll prove you wrong still you still want me um, so I kept training anyway and I learned a lot just watching um, Chad Corns and Kane Corns and Treadway and Primus and all these guys and how they trained and how they went about it and observed a lot um, got back on the Saturday and uh, yeah they'd, they'd said that we can't we can't pick you because of the injury so uh, I knew Luke Hodge had the injury a lot worse than what I did, the same one. Mm. Um, so I knew Hawthorne just picked him at pick one, so they didn't have a, a fear of that. So I rang them up, they were one of those eight, and I just told them what had happened to Port Adelaide, and they said, come down and, and train with us. So mm. spent the next three, three and a half weeks training with them. Um, got to the day before the rookie draft, mm. um, and I sat down with the recruiting officer, and he said, look, there's, there's four of you. There's only um, two spots available, um, but in, in order we rate you, um, went through the four players, I was third. Um, but they said, we've, we actually think that um, another team's going to grab our, our top priority, so if that happens, we'll get the two of you. Hmm. So I sort of left there pretty confident, pretty excited, and um, that I was going to go to the club, I guess, I barracked for growing up, and also, uh, obviously, big connection with Hodgie. So... Um, the, the, the opposition team did pick the Kangaroos did pick the player that Hawthorne wanted so um, it fell into place really quickly and then Hawthorne picked their second one and then they picked the fourth one right. to skip me <laughs> um, and I only found out about 
well, probably a decade later, and um, obviously things worked out well for me. I, I ran into the recruiting officer in a, in a lift and just asked the question. And he said, yeah, well, um, the coach made a last-minute call. You obviously have been injured, and he picked the fourth guy because he just felt it was a safer pick, and mm. it was sort of a sliding doors moment. But, um, mm. yeah, missed out, and at that stage, there's no free agency or anything. Like, it's once that draft is done, that's it. There's nothing for 12 months. Yeah. So, um, I guess because I've never been... Um, in that Falcon system it always been more of a dream than a reality or potential so I worked really hard at school and um, my dad's a builder my brother's a builder I couldn't hang a picture frame so I knew that I was never going to be working in, with my hands so I got to uh, I got the, into a double degree at Ballarat University and, and packed up and moved up there so mm. um, I wanted to play the highest level footy I could which was um, VFL with North Ballarat and, yeah. um, had Joe Fitzgerald who was a, a great coach and and known nationally as, as a great coach. Um, and then there was also just a brilliant culture around the football club. Um, we weren't, we didn't play finals or anything like that, but just a lot of people would come from different places and um, there was just great guys there and I actually I just had a ball that year and mm. um, also had to learn how to grow up a bit and, and work several different jobs. So I poured pots at the Lakeview Hotel and worked at um, Ballarat and Clarendon College, yeah. doing yard duty for year eight kids, taught me patience. Um, <laughs> I worked at uh, where else? In Complete Garden, um, like a nursery, selling pots and fountains and that. So, a bit of experience, and um, yeah, I had a great year and, and got to the end of the year. And Geelong rang up and wanted me to go train with them, so I spent almost a month training with them and got to the day before the rookie draft. And Bomber Thompson, the coach, called me into his office and, and said, um, "We're not going to draft you, and we're not going to rookie you." <laughs> and I sort of threw my hands up and said, "Well, what the hell have I been doing for the last month?" And, he said, we want you to play in our top-up list, which basically means um, you're at 44 in the list, 22 play AFL, the rest play VFL. You never have everyone available, so you use your top-up list to, to mm. top up the team. So you basically always play reserves. And I said, look, I'm already playing. I was already playing VFL football with North Ballarat, so I said, there's no point in me, me moving. Um, and he said, well, we've got great facilities here. You'll be right under our nose. We'll be getting the best coaching and that. And, um, and I just said, no, I've got my jobs in my uni and all that. And, so well, if you walk out that door, it's it. You, you know, play for footy, and um, there wasn't a lot of players sort of drafted from my age onwards at that stage. Yeah. I was nineteen, um, and so I said, "Look, you might be right. Hopefully, you're wrong." And I walked out, and um, I did sort of think at that stage it was over. It was only about four days before Christmas because the draft had been pushed back, and um, I was actually the next day. Mum was driving me to meet my mates um, just for a Christmas beer, just schoolmates, and. Um, I got a, a text message from one of those mates who, who said well done the draft and sort of was confused and um, mum pulled over across three lanes of traffic almost killed us and said <laughs> ring him ring him and I rang him up and said mate was that meant for someone else or and he said nah um, Colin will pick I said nah, nah Colin I haven't spoken for 18 months which was true and uh, he said nah it's on the computer in front of me and I was like nah that can't be right and anyway I said maybe it was a projection or something but didn't happen and yeah I'll see you soon for a beer and I hung up the phone I had four voicemail messages and I'm like what the hell's going on here so the first one said um, this is Noel Judkins recruiting officer from Collingwood when I welcome the club and I was like um, I knew my mates had been there a few hours before me and I thought that they were just taking the piss and I, thinking, oh, I just deleted it and went down the second one and said oh this is Mick Moldhouse coach of the Collingwood footy club I was like yeah bullshit and I deleted that as well I went down the third one it was the um the player manager on Simon that months before who um, no one knew and my mates didn't know who that was Peter Lenton and he was going off and saying I knew fucking beauty how good the phone so um, yeah I thought that's that's strange and the fourth one was the captain of the time and now coach Nathan Buckley and that's how I found out I got there so wow. um, yeah there's there a few uh, sliding doors moments but um, it took a while to get there but eventually I did mm, oh, look I, I think anyone listening to that story just to that part and we haven't even hit the great highs or anything like the adversity in terms of disappointment five times to really establish yourself in the under-18s team the injury relocating to Port Adelaide um, then having the courage to pick up the phone and say Hawthorne things haven't worked out would you give me a chance thinking you're going to get picked up again and then going uh, relocating back to Ballarat doing university and really like looking f- uh, for your future 
you know, I, I think there's so much for people to understand to have success in life, whatever that is for you. Um, it does require dedication. It does require courage. It does require the confidence to get out of your comfort zone. And I, I think that story there alone is some valuable lessons for anyone that's listening. See, yeah, I think, yeah, sort of off the back of that, sorry to interrupt you. Right. There's a bit of um, you, if you want something badly enough, no matter what it is, like if you want you want to buy that new car or you want to go on a holiday or you want to achieve something, I think you only know if you're capable of doing it if you give everything to it. Mm. Like if you try something half-assed and think, oh, it might turn out, then it probably won't. So yep. you sort of, you have to commit yourself to things and um, that was a big thing for me is that that's what I wanted. I, I know it wasn't something like a fundraiser where I could raise money to go on holiday knowing that eventually you're going to get there if mm. you keep saving that money. It was something that you never know if you're actually going to get there or if you're going to be good enough, but that's also part of the chase, I reckon. Yep. You don't know what you're capable of until you really give it a crack and um, it could have it, it could have not worked out or they might have picked someone else but I know I would have been the best VFL player I could have been mm. so you sort of you don't know where you can get to along those lines and you've got to, you've got to have, have a real crack at it yeah I, I think for the next part of your story too nearly the narrative's a little bit different, but, you know, there was challenge to get probably your first game and then you become the uh, the captain or, or you probably, I think, from memory, you got uh, awarded Nathan Buckley, who's, you know, the biggest name in the club nearly. Um, he awarded you his jumper before he got to captain, so they, he definitely would have seen great leadership in you there. Then do you want to just share a bit about that part of the journey before we move into, you know, your highs where you're All-Australian, Premiership captain, etc., etc. Yeah, so um, my first year at Collingwood, I was on 18 grand for tax, so mm. it's not all beer and Skittles. <laughs> I had to work, we had a day off a Thursday every week and um, I had to work at Telstra. It's actually, so you think, oh, I felt play a glamorous life. No, mm. on 18 grand I was scrapping and, uh, and I was working at Telstra on a Thursday, so... Um, it was basically, I was more of a Williamstown player, so Collingwood's reserve team um, actually played for Williamstown Footy Club, so I only trained during the season once with Collingwood, mm. um, so we, we were sort of on a different program, so you'd go in and you'd still use the facilities, but the senior boys weren't really, you weren't really a part of it, mm. so um, I'd go down to Williamstown and it was great, again, like North Ballarat, it was a great culture, mm. a better team in terms of more success, but we had some great people there, um, Troy West and um, Brad Lloyd, um, Sam Cranage. We had a lot of players who had had AFL experience or had been around them. They really um, welcomed us in and helped us a lot, so that was the first part of it. Um, I got I had a one-year contract, so the next year got to the end of that year, won a premiership with Williams now, which was awesome to, to have mm. that experience. Um, and I got another one-year contract, one of 25 grand, so I dropped Telstra. Um, and... Yeah, halfway through that year was when I sort of debuted and, and basically didn't really look back from that from that point onwards. Um, but I think again, it's just about trying to, for a start, establish yourself. And mm. I think it's almost um, it's like going into any job. You get in there and it's a bit awkward early, and you got a bit of sort of um, time to learn and see where you fit and try and find your place. And then you really you need to get on the front foot and prove that you've got worth and you've got something to add. Mm. So whether it be in, in any business anywhere or in a sporting team or anything, um, you want to be able to prove and you want to feel good about yourself that you contributed somehow. So mm. um, I was just trying to learn as much as I can and, and work as hard as I could. And I knew I knew my capabilities. I knew sort of what was my strength and, and mm. the areas that, um, that weren't. Um, and I really focused on them and my strengths obviously you chip away at your weaknesses but I think too often we, we focus on people's weaknesses and what they can't do and yeah. we understand that um, it takes um, individuals don't achieve a lot um, compared to teams and I'm not just talking in sport I'm talking about mm. anything you need mm. if you go into the corporate world and you've got a CEO the CEO didn't do it mm. he needed the CFO and the COO and the, the secretary and everyone else who comes with us so, yeah. um, everyone needs a different um different group of people around him with different skill sets and mm. I bought a, a certain skill set that wasn't the best player but I contributed so mm. um, yeah I guess that's 
and, and Bucks giving me the number five was, um, I still remember he, he sat down with me and asked me to take it and I was sort of like, no way, like, you're like a legend in the club and I'm just this young guy flying his way and when he explained to me it was about the way I went about it that he admired and all that um, and that I had potential leadership in me that was sort of, um, and that he wanted it I guess was something that I went, okay, well, if you've helped me a lot and you've, um, over the last few years and obviously you're retiring so... I'm happy to take on that challenge as well. And you, you touch on a really good point about that CEO and business and you can't be all done yourself. Like I was setting up here today and I'm very good at some areas and I'm not so good at others and technical is a, an area for me I'm not uh, super good at. So I always bring people in typically to help me with my weaknesses so totally relate to what you're saying there and if you are in business you know take that on board don't be the butcher baker the candlestick maker make sure you get the right team around you and and, and really help them lead and grow Um, and we'll touch a little bit more on that deeper into the conversation because that's a, a an area of expertise for you now but you you then took on uh, not too long after you become the premier, oh, not the premiership captain. You become the captain and really started to stamp your imprint at the Collingwood Football Club. Plus, um, in the AFL, you also become you know an an all Australian player and you know very well respected um, figure in the community. Um, was that something that you would say was hard work? Was it some, you know the sacrifices that you were making? How would you say that that was where you know how did you get to that level yeah it was probably I've only kept on one team in my life which was Collingwood so mm. I didn't have experience in it and that was probably what helped me in that I was just me so I think too often and and potentially early days I remember catching up with the coach um, over, after about the first four or five weeks of the season and he said um, we didn't appoint you for who we think you'd be we, presented, we appointed you for who you are um, so he goes just best advice I can give you is be you um, and that's always stayed with me because we've all got different strengths and weaknesses as you mentioned and I think that if you if you focus on you and you're authentic um, I know you want to talk about leadership later but that sort of it rolls into it is that if you're authentic um, and you know who you are and you know what you're good at and you know what you're not then people follow you mm. and, and I was someone who I'd put my hand up any time that um, I failed because mm. I know I'm going to fail I'm going to fail all the time and father to three now so I fail every day <laughs> yeah so there's a lot that goes into it and I think um, I was uh, I was probably as shocked as anyone that I was named captain um, mm. because I didn't really I thought you needed a bigger profile and I thought you had to be one of the best players mm. um, so I sort of it was a bit of cart before the horse for me and yeah. I became a better player after I was captain so mm. I guess the responsibility sat with me but that's also where um, people with greater knowledge and greater understanding of what it takes mm. spotted me and picked me out and, and they saw something that you probably, probably didn't see myself and I think mm. that that's something that stayed with me in terms of um, working with other leaders over the last 18 years is that when I see um, leadership in anyone I say I talk to them about it because mm. I remember how good that made me feel Yeah. so whenever it is so if it's whatever situation is going that was great how you did that presentation. I loved how you talked about this. That really stayed with me. Yeah. And just giving that little bit of positive reinforcement yeah. makes them go, oh, that was great. I want to, I want to do the same thing. Yeah. I think, um, like, while we're talking about becoming captain of Collingwood because you sort of jumped out of the box and felt – um, you know, as a, a passionate sports fan um, following your journey, um, it sort of felt like you leapfrogged a heap of players into that role. Did you, you know, were you real um, confident in what you were doing early on? Did you have that support or was there any level of undermining or did you feel anything like that? No, I had, had great support and everything. I, I think it was probably, um, it's like anything, it's timing. So, mm. There's certainly people who um, who would have been better leaders than me at that stage, um, but they'd finished their careers or they'd gone to different clubs or whatever. So there's sort of, as I said earlier, the sliding doors moments where you've got to be the right place at the right time, mm. particularly when it's something like a sporting club. Whereas if you're um, if you're a CEO of a company, you can sort of be a CEO of a company at, at most places because mm. it's more about yeah, you need certain expertise, but it's more about managing people and, and leadership rather than actually. Um, looking at the technical aspects because again as you mentioned 
everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses. So you put the technical elements where they need to be, mm. and then the responsibility of the leader is to bring that out of everyone. So um, I guess because I knew what I was good at and I knew what I wasn't good at, then um, if I marked the ball in the back half, um, I was looking to give it off to the guys who were great ball users. Yeah. Because um, that's their, their better kicks than me, and that's mm. their skill set. Um, and also gave me a chance to put a shepherd on and, and try and pick off someone for the opposition. Mm. So um, it's, it's just knowing what you're good at. And it doesn't mean that you're not trying to improve yourself and get better at different things because um, I sort of I think that's the biggest problem a leader, the biggest issue a leader can have is that they think they know it all. Yeah. Um, and that's when you really start to struggle with feedback, when you start to stop seeking feedback yourself. Mm. Um, and even if you're leading a team, I, I often will set different things up certain situations to manipulate them so the feedback's forced upon the leader in the room yeah um so obviously in certain roles that i run i actually have to be the one who gives that feedback but in other times i'll set it up so that it's done you you almost have to manipulate situations Mm. because people don't have the confidence to challenge the leader or challenge the boss and and if they don't then yeah you start to fail straight away yeah and i guess um you know, I'll probably want to touch on responsibility at a level like the Collingwood Football Club, a very proud history. I do have people that jump on from all over the world. So just to set a bit of scene here, uh, Collingwood, well, you'd often be playing in front of 100,000 people. You'd have, you know, an incredible membership base of nearly 100,000 people. Um, and the Collingwood Football Club had, hadn't won a premiership when you were captain for probably 25 years at the time yep. and um, and that only won one before that for, I don't know the date, you can... Yeah, 50 years. Yeah, 50 years. So the premiership captain of the biggest club that's playing in front of the biggest crowd that has the biggest, um, the biggest I guess, people to, you know, take you down type of thing um, from a fan point of view um, the level of responsibility there, is that something that's transferred over into leadership qualities do you think? Or Yeah I think the, uh, you focus on the things that are in your control uh, and too often um, we worry about things that we've got no say out of or we can't, um, we can't change at all so and that's a lot of things I talk to our leaders about is that there's certain things that you can actually have an impact on there's certain things you can't so and in the age of social media that's probably the the, um, the biggest example of what I'm talking about is that um, people who you don't know can get on social media and say whatever they want about you and if people read that they take that as fact mm. when they don't know you and, yeah. and I I've had over the last five years since I retired I've had every single supporter under the sun come up to me and I thought they'd done a leadership talk somewhere or I've spoken to a sporting organisation or just they come across me in the, in the restaurant and I say geez, I just have to say that I, I hated you as a player <laughs> like, good <laughs> like, what do you mean good I'm like well my, for me my job wasn't for the opposition team to like me yeah. <laughs> my job is to do the best I could for my team Yeah. so and as captain of Collingwood, you, you understand that people straight away, it's, you, know, you put a target on your back. But mm. um, I, didn't, I wasn't doing anything for anyone apart from my teammates and our supporters and our club, what I wanted to achieve. So, um, But when you actually speak to people about that, they're like, well, you, you're nothing like off the field what I thought you were going to be after mm. I've seen you on the field. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's because I was out there playing a role. You're out there doing the job. And yeah. um, I probably had a bit of added more than anyone else because I had a bit of white wine fever going on the field. I was a bit of a different person when I went out there mm. um, in terms of aggression and physicality, the way I had to play. But that was a role I had to play. So mm. um, it's like anything, you you are who you are. And um, and too often it's easy to be potting people you don't know anything about. And uh, again, we talk about, I'm sure you've spoken to many, many people on these podcasts about mental health and suicide mm. and all those type of things. And, um, and a lot of that comes from online bullying stuff mm. and the pressures of um, pressure and anxiety that comes with um, putting mm. yourself out there and mm. um, as I said three kids now and the nine year old starting to get itchy fingers and thinking when she going to get a phone and when she mm. like, Instagram all the stuff that comes oh, yeah. it's, um, it's a challenge because you don't want you want them to understand um, that the people who matter in their lives and whose opinions matter um, are, the, are the certain few in the, in the sanctum and that there's always going to be people out there who sometimes just because they they're bored and they want to they want to have a joke with their mates and throw it out and say whatever you want about me or about you and just to see if they get a reaction. Mm. Um, and that's where the, those 
profile people who can put that to the side and understand that it's not reality mm. um, are the ones that succeed, whereas it can really affect a lot of others, and that's what I talk to our players a lot about. Yeah, and and on I guess that winning your team was uh, you know you had a, a built I guess a really good team that was having a lot of success at AFL uh, for a while there. Would you say that you impacted the culture and how important do you see culture in building teams? Um, oh, you hope you do. You hope you do as a leader that you're having a positive impact on the culture. Um, if you're not, you're probably not leading to absolute premium. Um, and I guess culture now um, in, in all the roles I work in is probably the number one thing that I talk about because um, I, I just believe, and I mean, it's backed up by every survey ever done, is that no one ever says um, your financial benefit or your income is the number one priority for them in the workplace. Mm. Um, so it's always about the environment and the people you work with. And I think the people that want to know what what's my job, what am I responsible for, and clarity around that, they want to be... Um, either rewarded for it when they've done their job well or they want to be told this is what you need to do better um, and they want to go to an environment that they love every day where you get to work with good people and you enjoy yourself you don't mm. want to be waking up in the morning and going oh another day another day at the office or another day doing this so um, it's not just about finding something you're passionate about in your work it's actually more about the people in my opinion yeah. um, and while it's, it's great to, to win a premiership and to, to play for, for 12 years and that type of thing the biggest thing that came out of it for me was the relationships I built mm. and the people that um, I still speak to every day who were involved in that who I might not see for six months or 12 months or two years but it's still just like um, mm. yeah, those relationships are so strong it's still like that uh, it was just yesterday that you were together. Yeah, I mean I do a whole chapter in, in the book you've got one shot and it's on about building relationships and meaningful relationships and we hadn't probably connected you know we used to cross paths at the pool with the kids on 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 occasions but there was always that respect and relationship there that you know when I called you to be a guest on the podcast you know that still you know you respected me I respected you and you know happy to do that type of thing and that's a really important thing that I really want people to understand is how to build meaningful relationships not just relationships yeah. and it's important that um, so, so we try and even in this day and age we try and dig even deeper so mm. particularly um, the, the generation of sports people that I've been working with coming through so I worked with in the Melbourne Storm for six years um, I was with the Giants for a couple of years in the AFL and now with, with Collingwood now where I work with AFL AFLW so the women's players and the netball team and admin so there's a real broad array of different people and different mm. backgrounds and um, this generation of the, the 18 to sort of 28 year olds in that, that bracket there um, which I'm only I'm not that far removed from but they want to know oh, I just if I was told this is what we're doing I'd be like okay sweet let's see how I do it whereas now they want to know oh why are we doing that yeah. what's the purpose of this what are we going to get out of this and so there's you that's for their minds because in this day and age, I spoke to um, some school leaders at um, Melbourne Grammar um, only a couple of weeks ago, and I said to them, um, with, with all of you now, you're used to getting everything right now. Yeah. So you, we, when I was growing up, and I sound like I'm 60 years old, um, mm. but in, in, in that day and age, you'd have to wait till 6 o'clock news to see what was going on, and then you see the paper the next day for other things. Now you find out 30 seconds later on Twitter... Mm. Um, so news is at your fingertips straight away um, we used to have to go out and talk to a girl in a pub whereas now you can just swipe left swipe right or, yeah. or, or give them a like on Instagram or whatever it is so um, all these different things now are handed to them straight away but the most important things can't come straight away so building a relationship with people you trust whether it be friends or, or work colleagues or a partner they're things that take hours <clears throat> excuse me, hours and hours and weeks and years to build to a point where you trust them, you trust them uh, as much as you need to. Mm. Um, you can't fast track that. Yeah. You, you can't fast track the learning of being disappointed and missing out on the job interview or getting cut for a team and actually having to turn that around and, and work out to be better and find out how much it means to you to chase that dream again or to chase whatever it is again. So the things that are most important in the world are the things that you can't be fast track and that's a challenge for for us now as leaders um, in any industry is to actually realise that while everything else has been handed to everyone straight away um, in terms of all those things I mentioned and there's a million others we can order food and have it delivered to our house now um, 
basically any restaurant, obviously with Uber Eats. Mm. Um, you don't, don't have to wait for a taxi anymore, and Uber shows up just like that. So there's sort of so many elements that are right at your fingertips. Where you, there's um, instead of going and reading a book, now we've got um, apps where the book's read for you, and you just get basically a summary of it of all the key points. Mm. So we don't even take the time to read a book anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when you talk about skills as well, it's the same thing. You can't mm. develop a skill by um, uh, overnight. It actually takes hours and hours and hours to develop any skill, whether it be talking in front of a group, whether it be um, kicking a ball or hitting mm. a ball and playing tennis, whatever it is. So um, we've got to be careful that we don't um, fail this next generation who it's not their fault that everything's been sort of given straight away and that it all happens straight away. Um, we've got to make them understand that the really important things in your life are the things that you do have to work a lot harder for. Mm, totally. I just want to... So while we're talking about your career, like it's clearly an incredible career, um, before we get talking about the grand final and the experience of that, because, you know, experiencing the Holy Grail is, you know, something that I you know, really want to talk about. But along your journey, you would have been thinking about life after football and what that was for you. When did that start and, and what what did you do around that? I was probably always doing something, um, but I was never set on what it is. And even today, I, I don't know exactly what the next 30 years hold. So yeah. um, I was doing a lot of commentary stuff because obviously in the role I was in as a player and as a captain, um, you had to do a lot of media. So I was doing TV, I was doing radio, special comments, um, working in different businesses for different experiences. Um, and, and I guess the leadership one post-football was one I sort of fell into a little bit in that... I was set to go work in, in a BDM role somewhere and I was doing media. Um, and then uh, we've got a famous coach here in Australia called Craig Bellamy, who's um, basically seen as one of the greatest coaches in, in the history of uh, NRL, which is rugby. Um, so you go into a different sport. And he rang me up and, and he asked to catch up for coffee and basically started chatting about a leadership role they were looking to implement and that uh, he was wondering if I was interested in going in. So mm. um, that's sort of the way that that came about. So I didn't, I never had attributes or Again, I've never thought I know leadership well. I've never mm. really focused on that. It's just sort of going about your business, really. Um, and then, and you were still playing at the time when that uh, was happening. I just retired. Okay, yeah. okay. So um, 2014. So that was sort of the way that that came about. So before that, I still wasn't certain about mm. what it was going to look like. I was just trying a lot of different things. Yeah. And you, you know, you went to university and so on. Was that your university? Uh, course that you were doing was that around management leadership or anything like that? Yeah, it was human movement management it was a double degree so it was sort of both um, but the management part was the one I enjoyed more and the business part so um, I probably thought that that would be the way I'd go down more than um, the human body and looking at the human body which is sort of when you work in sport you'd think that that would be the one that you'd lean more towards but I sort of enjoyed the business part a lot more. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to the Holy Grail. Like, you know, if you're in pursuit of any level of excellence, there's a journey that you've got to go on, whether it's, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or building a business that operates with or without you. For you and for every AFL player, it's playing in a premiership, but for you, you had the extra cream on top being able to be the premiership captain of that team. When did you think that was going to happen? And, you know, was it two years before? that you're building did it just come out of the blue like what what's some of the things that really stood out for you there yeah probably 2009 when I, when I first took over we, we started talking a lot more about winning a premiership and actually putting it out there instead of being an elephant in the room because um, mm. we knew that as a club we hadn't been that successful in terms of winning them we, we got to a lot of them we played a lot of finals but we also had a new group we, we lost a lot of our um, more experienced players to, to retirement over the two years previous so um I guess with, with youth comes enthusiasm and, and not knowing what we're capable of and, and we started talking a lot more about being the best and winning a premiership so I think we started to set the foundations through 2009, we, we lost a preliminary final so we finished third or fourth um, and then the next year as the season built we just got better and better and probably by um, about three quarters away through the year we thought yeah we're, we're up there and, and this is um, this is the chance for us so um, we went through the final series. We, we won our two finals pretty convincingly um, to get into the grand final. And um, we were favourites grand final day and we were probably three or four goals up at half time. And, and um, 
like any good team like St Kilda were at the time, they uh, they just hung in and hung in, and they were um, one of the toughest um, mentally and physically teams um, that that had been around for many years. Um, they, they'd lost the grand final the year before, so their hunger was at an all-time high as well. And mm. um, they were well coached by Russell. I know, very good defensive team. As I said, they were just mentally really tough team. So um, they hung in there and got to the end of the game, and uh, and probably. It's not going to happen anymore, but one of the most unique things um, in world sport is that if you draw a grand final in the AFL, um, you had to come back next week and do it all again. <laughs> so that was, um, that was tough. And uh, so to, to put that in perspective, it's like um, the Super Bowl finishing uh, on an even score and there's no extra time. It's just now you come back and do it all again. <laughs> it happened three times in 150-odd years and uh, unfortunately we were, we were one of them. And but you were that day there. You know, it was a beautiful day. The weather was great. There's a hundred thousand people there. Your energy would have been absolutely sapped out of that day. And and just to you know get up off the canvas and go, we've got to go back do recovery and do it all again. That would have been just you know would have been draining. Well, it's sort of um, there's always a physical element to it, but it's more mental than anything. And I think that. We had some great people around um, who just talked about, well, we're in a grand final next week, let's go do it like it's not. Um, and, and it took me probably a few hours to realise it wasn't opportunity lost, it was opportunity postponed. Yeah. And that we had to, we still had a job to do and um, and it just adds, I suppose, to the story that you had, mm. you had to come back and do it all again. So um, it was a tough week that week and um, I think by probably Monday, once we'd done our review and we looked at a lot of things that... Um, we did poorly or security well. Um, that was when we started to turn and go, you know what, we're, we're right here, we're, we're in good shape. And um, and everyone obviously did everything they could recovery-wise to make sure physically they were right. Um, mm. But it was more about trying to get everyone up mentally again to do it all again. Mm. Well, that's, yeah, and you got the you got the win and, and I'm sure, you know, the, that feeling to win a premiership and... You know, you think back of all the challenges, adversities, the injuries, the setbacks, the travels to um, Ballarat to relocate, the travels to Port Adelaide. You know, it just that journey. It's it's such it's such people need to understand. Like success does require a journey to go on. Yeah, and there was a lot of um, probably elements to it. That, I mean, for me, the big thing was a relief. It was. Mm. Um, I got one and they can't take it off me and we we can always remember this and no matter what happens from here on in we've always we always know we got one um it was also you you have a strong bond with a group of people who are involved in that um forever mm. so even players and a lot of the staff and coaching that we catch up once a year so yeah. we have a, a luncheon every year where we catch up um, just us and um and that's something we wouldn't have done if we hadn't have, have won that um and probably the final one is I had an opportunity so I, I wrote a, a book about I'd been kept in a diary for a few years so we put that into a book uh, mm. around it all and um, I'd travelled around country Victoria with the book and with the Premiership Cup and um, spent about three weeks and, and just meeting like 70 year old men who would line up for three hours balling their eyes out to get a photo with you on the cup and just yeah. saying like I can die happy now <laughs> Uh, um, and that was to me that was really special because you found out that um, uh, yeah you've made um, you've made your own memories and you've got things for yourself but what it did for other people and what it meant to other people just took it to a whole new a whole new um, level for me yeah oh look I mean that and you played two you played in a losing grand final as well year, yeah. the next year and you were favourites going into that grand final yeah or? so we'd um, we only lost to one team the whole year and that was Geelong and, and they beat us three times right so, yeah so it was a it was a tough one I think a lot of things um, just went against us at the wrong time and we were playing a champion team who'd won two of the previous three flags so they were obviously very good mm. um, yeah and they just they 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 were better on the day and, um, and they had more momentum going in that day than we did and that's another thing you can sort of um, you need a lot of things to go right um, yeah. to, for anything to, to win anything um, or to achieve anything so um, sometimes there's, there's stuff that's outside of your control that you've you've got no say out of and uh, there's a book that um, got me a big bookshelf over there um, a book called Resilience and a guy named Eric Greedens who's a SAS ex-SAS leader and yeah. he talks about um in this book where there's one of the people that um, 
in his team. There was only small teams of six, and um, they they finished. He had a bit of sort of post traumatic stress. This guy he didn't know what to do um, with his life, and he's writing him letters, and they're writing back and forth to each other, and um, about different stories and different experiences. And this becomes the book. And um, one of the things he said is, you're, "You're not responsible for everything that happens to you, but you are responsible for how you deal with what happens to you." Mm. So ultimately, what he's saying is that shit happens bad stuff's gonna happen and yeah you can either um just let it worry and, and take it on board and go well um it's the universe's fault or it's someone else's fault or you just go well i can't change what's happened mm. but i can work out how i'm going to deal with this and make sure that a it doesn't happen again or if it's something in your control if it's not then b i'm just going to be best prepared as i can to, to attack it the next time mm. and look i guess this whole project that i'm launching is a bit of a legacy thing for me to give back and share a message because i had to face you know losing a boy stillborn and how was i going to deal with that was i going to go and hate the world and roll up into a corner or was i going to go and and um, continue in a positive way and that's the direction i chose and you know five years into that journey i decided i'm gonna get a message out there you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot which is you know the foundation of my social media movement my podcast and my book so and probably speaking gigs in the in the future so let's um and you retired 2014 yeah so we're injured halfway through the year and um i was pretty, I was pretty shocked by then i had five surgeries at the end of the year to put myself back together and um, I was mentally pretty fried, so um, mm. yeah, I, I finished up then. I was, I was probably a bit earlier than a lot. I was only just turned 31, um, mm. but yeah, I was just sort of I, I was ready for for what was next. Yeah, and what was next? Because you were, you know, a highly sought after media personality at that time. You were getting gigs on, you know, the the mainstream channels as guest commentators and so on. You've got you mentioned Craig Bellamy inviting you there um there probably would have been options to stay on in some role at collingwood too i'm I'm gathering um talk about making decisions of you know there for you and aaron and the kids it's it's could be life-changing whatever you do yeah i think you've got to um you just got to find what you're passionate about and what's next so um you can't be a football forever or a sports person forever so it, unfortunately there's an expiry date on every athlete's career and mm. quite often they don't know when that is so um, I guess the media stuff I didn't know where that was going to lead but I knew that I didn't want to do it forever I knew mm. that it was sort of a, a means to an end um, and then I was doing some business stuff which was great experience for me and, and to work through that uh, after a year at the Storm um, Leon Cameron contacted me he was a coach of the Giants who, who in a different state up in Sydney um, but we're in AFL so I actually went on and, and did, did a role with them in leadership for two years as well so um, probably the, the challenging part about that was it was a flying fly out yep. so for two years I, I had 226 flights in 18 months actually, so, wow. um, a lot of flying up there but um, because I did that I did my MBA in that 18 months well, yep. just because I wanted to have something end of it I'm spending so much time on planes and in airports and in languages mm. and I wanted to make sure that I had something to show for that as well so yeah um, and also I'd never been in another AFL club I only know one club so it was good to get a different experience and, um, and meet some great people and, and work with them as well mm. and just again like listening to you talk all the way throughout here you know sacrifice for success and things that you're prepared to do 226 flights to help progress your career moving you know to go to university leaving home early all of these things are just you know that they're a part of your character and you know some people give up too easy and and that there is again you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot it's really really important so what about leadership you're you know involved in successful clubs i'm in your office looking at premiership um with a storm and your recognition there and you've been involved with collingwood that's having a successful era again and you're doing some work corporately as well in leadership what do you see is good leadership how do you become a good leader and uh, you know i'd like you to share a bit about that because people i want people to learn and grow as well oh, yeah i think as i said the first thing is um to be authentic to be who you are um and, and understand who you are uh, and that's when i go and do different um 
corporate gigs and sometimes they just want you to talk about your story and they take their own lessons from it and sometimes um, I actually like to ask them questions so there's a bit of um, reflection time for them. Um, so some of them are about, I share what my strengths and weaknesses are and actually ask people, so what are your strengths and weaknesses? Yeah. And quite often people don't take time to sit back and go, oh, actually, I'm good at this or I'm good at this and this is what I struggle at or whatever. And um, They're things you need to be aware of. You have to have that self-awareness of, of what I, who am I and what am I good at and what am I not good at mm. um, to be able to help others recognise the same thing. Um, I think that integrity for me is a massive one. If, if you say you're going to do something, do it as a leader. Yeah. Because um, you start, trust starts dissolving really quickly. If you say you're going to do something, you don't end up doing it. Mm. Um, and so it's okay to fail on things mm. and put your hand up and say, no, nah, I, I stuffed that one up or I got that one wrong. Um, and, and that's all I mean, people want. That's what they want from their leaders. Mm. Obviously, there's, there's big picture stuff, but ultimately... Um, as I mentioned earlier, you want to go to a, an organisation every day that you enjoy being around good people, and, mm. and you want to be challenged. You want to um, you want to be successful, mm. um, and, and from a leadership perspective, always be learning. Like, yeah, there's there's so many. There's not one leader. There's not this is how you how you be a great leader. Mm. It's different for everyone. Yeah, and for some people who and I've worked with a lot of people who, if I was asked if they were asked to get up in front of a group and do a presentation they just go to war and they can never do it mm. um, and that's fine like we can work ways to try and help you through that um, but also understand you don't have to be the one that stands up in front and gives an inspiring speech mm. you don't have to do a Martin Luther, Dr Martin Luther King get up there and I've got a dream and actually talk through things like that but, yeah. um, sometimes great leadership is just someone who can identify um, a technical element that everyone else has overlooked because they look at the task rather than miss the detail in between. Um, the, the leadership to go put your hand up and say, I reckon we've missed something here. Mm. Um, the leadership for someone to actually go, um, I've noticed the behaviour of someone is different to their norm. There must be something going on. Mm. Taking the time to go over and put your arm around them and find out what that's all about. So um, it takes all types. And that's the biggest thing is that there's no set... Um, this is the things you have to be to be a great leader. Um, mm. Apart from the fact you need to be authentic and you need to have integrity. Yeah, and um, I guess you know with leadership as well, leading by example. Um, that's pretty important. Um, and I guess yeah, the the whole growth. And I'm looking at your book stand there, and there's incredible books that I've, you know, I think you know you're leading by example as. A, a leadership coach, <laughs> you know yeah. that. And it's also, I mean, I've got, um, I've got a little leather book here that um, that I keep, and I've had probably seven or eight years of this where I'm reading a book and I'll just a, a quote or something will pop out and me go, oh, that was good, and I'll write that down, write down where I got it from, who said it, like mm. what page it is, so I can go back and find it later because because you, you end up you read books or you watch documentaries or you read articles there's four folders up there on just articles of different things that I've yeah. picked up and that I've got something out of and um, and sometimes you get stuck like mm. every single leader the situational stuff where you go jeez I don't know what to do about this I'm not sure about this I'll go flick through that book or I'll go flick through some of those articles and something will jump out of me and I'll go that's it that's the answer and then I'll go and get it or or um, have the courage to actually get some of your team together and go I'm actually not sure what to do here. Yeah. I actually don't know what to do. I've thought about this, I've thought about that, I've thought about that, but what do you guys think? Have you got any ideas? Yeah. And again, a leader who has the ability to say that, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah. What do you think? Would, have you got an answer for me? That is authentic to people, and that's something that people can relate to because no one ever has all the answers. Mm. And Ray Dalio, he's got a, a great book, Work Life Principles, and he often talks about getting a good mastermind of people around you. You might be the CEO, but it doesn't hurt to have three or four people to just say, "Is this is what I think the best decision is, but is it the best decision? I want to hear all your opinions and then collectively doing that. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, often um, I've read other ones where I think it was might have been Amazon or a Google one where um, the, the leader of that group always has to talk last mm. so that everyone else isn't influenced into a group think of or if yeah I agree with the boss yeah. so they will actually have to give their own opinion before you get to the boss and the boss might have a completely different opinion or it might have changed because of what he's heard in that room or yes. what he's heard in that room so 
um, again, that's another little sort of element, another way you can go about it. Mm. Well, at the end of every episode, I always have like a bit of a rapid fire thing um, where I ask a few questions, and I just start, always start off with, "What is your favourite book?" Like, is that? Yeah, I've got quite a few. Um, or you could list two or three yeah, books. Well, um, I love Legacy from the All Blacks because I work in sporting teams, so that's a good one. Um, probably the most underrated that a lot of people haven't heard of is Starfish and the Spider, um, and the Starfish and the Spider is about. Um, ultimately in a nutshell if you cut two legs off a, off a uh, spider it'll still get around but it won't be able to function properly and eventually it'll be prey um, if you cut it in half it'll die if you cut its head off it'll die a starfish if you cut its leg off that leg will grow back in most species and on a lot of species the leg that was cut off will grow into another starfish if you cut a starfish in half it'll, they'll both grow into a new starfish so um, it's about the adaptability yeah. and about different, they go through different organisations and how um, they're centralised and decentralised in the way that it works. So I actually just love that theory of always being a starfish, like not just relying on one skill set or, or one ability, actually you always be developing yourself. So you've got multiple directions you can always go. Yep. Um, and what would you say the best bit of advice is that you've ever received? Um, probably probably the one I mentioned earlier was um, early on in my, my captaincy at Collingwood from a coach who said, um, we didn't put you in this position for who we think you will be, we put you in this position for who you are. And, uh, and so that was for me a big one about um, the authenticity of this is who you are and don't try to be anyone else. Yep. And what about the worst bit of advice you've ever received? Worst bit of advice? tend to just wipe it off I haven't got a worse bit of advice but any time I hear people talk about um, their po- political stuff in yeah. the workplace like how um, they want to manipulate situations or do things that are going to further advance their own best interests yeah. um, I just can't stand that because in leadership it's not about your best interests it's about um, everyone else's and trying to better the team so um, that's one I really struggle with whenever I hear something like that. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, we've sort of touched on this a little bit, your next three to five years, like you said earlier that, you know, it's all up in the air. Um, what, where do you see yourself? Is it still in leadership, coaching, in sport? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I've sort of, um, I, I go along and, and throw myself in everything that I do and um, you never know where it's going to come out. As I said, I didn't know that I'd ever work in a, in a rugby team when I've had no experience in rugby um, and I've been there six years now so I never knew that I'd come into back to Collingwood and be working with netballers and, and AFLW players and that so um, in, in women's sports so I never knew I'd have involvement in that so I think you just keep um, keep your options open and, and always thinking um, about not only how can you better yourself but also just challenge yourself with different options and um, it's easier to say no to to do a podcast with someone they ring up or to do an interview or to, or to go and do different things but mm. you also you always get different things out of it and you always mm. you have different experiences and someone might listen to this and go actually you want to get them get him in to talk to the yeah. group about something and, and that's a different experience again so um, yeah I'm sort of open to, to whatever life throws at me mm. and um, I guess I always give people an opportunity just on that note to share a bit about where they can find more from Nick Maxwell do you have a website where people could go to and register interest for um, or buy your book or yeah you've just let yeah. it out unfortunately I'm, uh, I'm not a big social media person so it's probably my downfall um, yeah. is that you can't just hit me up on social media and doing all that but um, I've got a, I've got my own website consulting wise so njmconsulting.com yeah. um, so you can go on there or just or google the name and you'll find it um, but yeah if any inquiries or if anyone's got thoughts on different things or, or want to go through things and I'm, yeah that's the way to, to get me yeah cool and uh from myself uh thank you very much for taking the time you're an extremely busy man and you're just about to start the footy season and you know i'm sure that um you know you've got lots of things happening as well i just heard that you'd been to europe uh recently and um yeah i, I really appreciate you coming on the show and as everyone on the show would have got so 
much value out of uh, out of talking to you about I guess sometimes conceptualizing sport and journey and success in sport across into business life entrepreneurship um, getting ahead you know there's so many parallels to be drawn and I think talking to you um, there's been a lot of value out of today's episode so thanks again well what a powerful episode here on the one shot movement podcast talking to premiership captain of the Collingwood Football Club Nick Maxwell talking all things about success adversity challenges never giving up we really went through everything in his story and then talking about leadership principles post-career and and what an incredible and inspiring story as always with the one shot movement podcast we uh, are out there interviewing the best of the best of the best my name's craig schultz i'm the host of the one shot movement podcast as always if you like this episode make sure that you share it give us feedback give us a rating and um, we, we really thrive on all of that feedback support with this podcast As I always say to people, you've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot. Live with passion and purpose. Until next week, we will see you soon.